0: All right, it's a bonus episode of Fantasy Football Today. Fantasy Die Hard Today. I'm Adam Azer. Welcome to the show, everybody. Dave Richard and Jamie Eisenberger here. Are you guys ready for this? Yep. Uh, this has been 25 years in the making, <laughs> so yes. <laughs> We didn't start the debate, but we did do the debate before it became super popular. And today we have an awesome guest, the man who wrote one of the greatest action movies ever made. Steven Souza is here. He wrote Die Hard. He wrote Die Hard 2, Commando, Running Man, 48 Hours, and many more. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. How are you?
1: Uh, I'm I'm great, and I'm just delighted to be here in Fort Lauderdale. And thank you for sending uh, the uh, show blimp to pick me up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: of course, we got a show blimp specifically for this episode, so uh, very excited about it. Now, I know, and a lot of people know that you have previously said Die Hard is a Christmas movie. You you ended the debate, but you you are coming on today, I think, to say just kidding, right? You're gonna you're gonna agree with me, right? It's not a Christmas movie after all. Uh,
1: no, no. I, I got the impression that you had another <laughs> round, the twenty-fifth argument on this, like a week ago, and then I think was it Dave that reached out to me, yeah, uh, Twitter. Uh, so I'm here to like uh, hammer it home once again.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So it's incontestable facts and graphs and charts. I have a I, I have a whole wall in my house with the red strings, you know, and the faces,
2: <laughs> you know, like when you sort
1: of right. go crazy and trying to prove that the aliens are working with. Uh,
0: with uh, the with the, uh, with, uh, the UN, <laughs> <laughs> I I did. I'm not sure if you just called me an alien. That is possible. Um, but so, what is your what? What are your primary arguments about why Die Hard is in fact a Christmas movie?
1: Well, the movie takes place entirely uh, from Christmas Eve to morning of the next day. It takes place entirely over Christmas. Number one. Um, the um, it, I, I would rather knock, I would rather knock. I would rather knock down the arguments about why it's not a Christmas movie. Fair. Okay. So the number one argument people say it's not a Christmas movie is because uh, it's an action movie. All right. Uh, and uh, uh, my response to that is that uh, not every Christmas movie uh, is about Santa Claus. For example, Home Alone is clearly a Christmas movie. And which Santa Claus, it's not about Santa and a reindeer. You can have other topics that make it a Christmas movie. Uh, another argument's made against it is, well, it came out in the summertime. But many Christmas movies, like Miracle on 34th Street, also came out in the summertime. I would. Re- it's very interesting, by the way, that because Miracle on 34th Street came out during during the summer, and it was such a Christmas movie, and the studio thought it would be kind of a Dissonance and people will be confused. If you go online and maybe I'll provide links for you, you can find the old coming attraction that was in movie theaters for Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. It doesn't have one thing in it. They completely removed Christmas from the coming attraction because they thought people wouldn't see a Christmas movie in the summer. So it's just sold as a romantic comedy. You'd have to work really hard. Um, I've had some people say, well. People get killed in this movie. How can you have a Christmas movie? Well, the original Christmas movie begins with the murder of all the babies in Bethlehem, as we all may recall. Okay. Right. So if you actually find a Christmas movie that is about the nativity, there's a scene of mothers crying and wailing as soldiers are running out of the houses. Hmm. You know, um, uh, here's here's my benchmark. Can we all agree that White Christmas, the Bing Crosby movie is a, is a Christmas movie? Yes. I think there's our baseline. Okay. It, It even has Christmas in the title. So I would compare Die Hard to White Christmas. So for example, does the movie take place during Christmas? Die Hard takes place entirely during Christmas. White Christmas, only the first scene is during Christmas, 1944. And the last scene is Christmas in 1955. And in between nine years go by without any Christmas at all, as they follow the characters over a nine year period. In Die Hard, the movie is not only takes place during Christmas, it's entirely a Christmas party. The entire movie. (laughs) White Christmas, only the last scene where they actually sing White Christmas when they're in their red Santa suits is on a Christmas party. The rest of it is a nine year period with no Christmas parties. Die Hard has four Christmas songs. Let It Snow, Winter Wonderland, pardon me, Christmas in Hollis, which is the first one we all love, Mm -hmm. and Jingle Bells. White Christmas only has two Christmas songs, White Christmas, of course, and a movie called Snow, which is arguably not really a Christmas song, it's about skiing and snow. I can go on, okay? Please uh, do, please do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I, I, yeah. Uh, in, 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 in Die Hard, the party, the Christmas party, the party venue was threatened by terrorists, Right, remember? Of course. <laughs> in White Christmas, the party venue, which is a a, a, a bed and breakfast, Is threatened by foreclosure. Not quite as dramatic.
0: No, not quite. Bruce Willis would not have done the foreclosure film, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: There's a a government... You're evicted? (laughs) Both movies have government... Yeah, both movies have government incompetence. The FBI overreacts in Die Hard. And in um, White Christmas, the Pentagon fires General Waverly, which triggers the whole plot.
0: So so uh, the reason the, – the main reasons why I don't consider it a Christmas movie, and it's very weird to say that to you, so I apologize. And it is one of my favorite movies. I love Die Hard, obviously. Um, I felt like it could take place any time of year and still be I as great getting... of a movie. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I've
1: heard that argument. Okay, let's say for the villain's plot to work, they need to attack a party venue, the headquarters of this corporation – When the entire building will be empty. Yeah. So there's always people on Twitter at Christmas. I'm inundated. And they say, well, it could be a 4th of July. And I said, well, on the 4th of July, it would be outdoor barbecue. Any (laughs) company would have an outdoor barbecue. It would not be indoors. Other people say, oh, Halloween. Well, first off, unlike Christmas and the 4th of July, which corporations often sponsor, very few companies do a Halloween party, and in any case, Halloween is not a legal holiday, and therefore the whole building would not be
2: empty. Steven, i got to tell you that uh, Adam hosts an Arbor Day party that is <laughs> <Yeah>. absolutely <laughs> unreal where everybody gets dressed up as trees.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, I have one last point. One last point. Um the sort of like sense of family that you would normally get from, uh, from a Christmas movie. I mean, for me, it's Home Alone, you know. It's all about the importance of family. Does Die Hard have enough of that? Because to me, if Die Hard were a true Christmas movie, the final scene would be John and Holly going home to the kids and giving them presents and saying Merry Christmas. But With the absence of that, that's why to me it doesn't really feel like a Christmas movie
1: well you oh. do know that you do know that right after the credits roll that's what happens he gets in the car with his <laughs> wife and they drive off and and as far as this being obviously they go through an emotional roller coaster the, the couple at the heart of the movie but look at it, it's a wonderful life I mean he, he's ready to commit suicide it's a Christmas movie he's going to commit suicide yeah. you know and the whole town turns on him I would also point out that I think if you're going to go in the Christmas spirit, You need to have, uh, I want to address the body count. People say, well, you can't have a Christmas movie, all these people get killed. So I point out that the original Christmas story has not like terrorists and policemen getting killed, babies getting killed. Put that aside. uh, I admit that 23 people get killed in Die Hard. It's a big body count for a Christmas movie. But White Christmas, 26,000 people get killed in the opening scene, which is the Battle of the Bulge.
0: Mm. yeah that's mm. not yeah I, that doesn't bother me at all <laughs> and finally
1: for <laughs> a real christmas story you want to have the gift of the magi moment you know the gift of the magi story where there's a sacrifice where the husband sells his watch to yep. buy a um a hair ribbon for the wife who has such beautiful hair and she cuts off her hair and sells it to a wig maker to buy him a chain for his watch it's a beautiful story they each give up something because of their love well i argue that there's a wonderful sacrifice in uh, a movie sacrifice in that um, uh, that doesn't in uh, Die Hard he uh, runs barefoot over over broken glass to save everybody and what's the sacrifice in White Christmas Danny Kaye gives his first class ticket to Vera Allen.
0: Mm, that's not, not quite not as insane, yeah. That's not, not as same league, right? Yeah, shoot the glass is definitely one of our favorite parts. All right, Dave and Jamie, I, I've monopolized enough of the time <laughs> here. You guys, uh, go for it. Sure,
2: sure. Stephen, did you recognize that this was a Christmas movie as you were writing it?
1: I have like, to be and honest and say, as I was typing, no. In fact, uh, our producer Joel Silver, who has a habit of setting his movies at Christmas, you may notice, he said we're going to do. But originally, the book had Christmas anyway. But the book took place over three or four days. We compressed it into just uh, Dusted Dawn. So he said, because it's all Christmas now, this movie will play every Christmas and we'll all get a check in the mail, which has turned out to be true for 25 Christmases now. <laughs> it plays on, uh-huh. on television. Very Christmas. Uh, but it didn't sink in until I went to the set and I saw all the Christmas decorations. You know, every desk has a Santa Claus. There's greeting cards. Mm-hmm. There's a Christmas tree. That's when I, th- That's when it hit me how immersive the Christmas experience would be in the entire movie. And of course, the characters all make reference to Christmas. Um, I'll tell you the one mistake I made. um, I I actually, we watched the Eagles uh, win last year. And uh, I I was at at a party with a 70-inch screen. And it was almost as good a a view as I had of the last time the Eagles won the NFL championship in 1960. Uh, My dad had season tickets uh, to Veterans Stadium mainly because he, he had been a, a uh, naval officer in World War II, was a Navy fan, and that's the way you got to see the Army-Navy game. So we had tickets on the 50-yard line, uh, you know, for that game. And that game was, not, I, I thought it was Christmas Day, uh, and that's why I had the game. There's a game on Christmas Eve in the movie, which is impossible. Mm, Notre I mean, Dame actually, and USC. The, the 1960 game was actually the day after Christmas in wow. my mind. So my own life experience uh, created that error. You know, people if, you know, people like to catch mistakes in in movies like – there's a wristwatch in Ben-Hur if you know where to look for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Wrist- Starbucks Cup
2: and Game of Thrones, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, there's uh, a wristwatch Steven, a story, story. – um, oh, go I, ahead, Jamie. Go ahead. You You, met,
2: you referenced, uh, you know, shoot the glass, and that's obviously a, a famous line. Uh, yubi ki Mother Bleeper obviously is an, is another one. Um, how did you come up with that, and, and, you know, how many times do people say that to you on a daily basis? Uh,
1: <clears throat> well, I, I uh, people don't say it to me because – Nobody knows what I look like. I go to Comic-Con and maybe there's one person walking towards me who goes, oh, 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 you're, you're, you're that guy. And that person looks like the guy who stole Woody into his Toy Story. I don't nobody, no no girl dressed like Red Sonia or Sheena Queen of the Jungle comes up and says, autograph my breath. It's always the guy who stole Woody in, uh, in, 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 in Toy Story. But uh, to the degree that people know who I am, it will come up. But that came up because uh, when I met Bruce right before we started the movie, and I wanted to talk, spend some time with him so that I could, I, I always try to meet, meet the actors and then I can, that informs how I write their dialogue. In a well-written script, Ooh. characters mm-hmm. should sound different from each other. You should be able to look at a script and not see the name of the person speaking and know who's saying that. So the speech pattern for Hans Gruber is totally different than all American uh, Bruce Willis. So anyway, I was talking to Bruce. I discovered we grew up about 30 miles apart in, you know, in the Philadelphia area. And uh, we're five years apart. We used to play Army under the boardwalk in Atlantic City. And in the conversation, we started talking about when we were kids, we played Soldier and Army and Cops and Robbers and making the movie is like that for real. And we somehow got on the topic of the children's show we used to watch when we were kids because he would get I'm in uh, Bucks County and he's in New Jersey. We're both getting the Philadelphia TV stations.
2: Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we
1: started talking about Roy Rogers yep. uh, and uh, Chief Halftown. These were shows they had in Philadelphia. So uh, they would sign off. They would say, yippee-ki-yay. Uh, uh, Roy Rogers would say, yippee ki It was a song he had. So I put in the script, yippee ki a- <laughs> And then Bruce did, Bruce did one ad, lib, <laughs> a- uh, which we decided we would see if we could, you know, uh, get that in and not, not jump from R to X. Because the people who give the ratings, is this anonymous committee. There's a movie called This Movie Is Not Yet Rated, where somebody followed them around with hidden cameras. They're like not remotely qualified to rate the movies. It's just a whole story there of how that goes on. So you never know how it's going to land when you go to there. There's like you know a dentist and like a uh, a woman who does cat rescues or it's just random random people. Uh, so anyway, we put that take in. We sent the movie over. We knew we were getting an R rating anyway, and and it stuck. So now it's a. Uh, Of course, now in the sequels where they want to make the movies more family friendly, it becomes no yippee-ki-yay melon farmer where there's an explosion. So you don't hear it. They're always like, you know, trying to like trying to do it, but not do it.
2: That's what we call Adam all the time, a melon farmer. (laughs) So it is. And your fans sound, you know, nothing like our fans. We've got all kinds of gorgeous women racing up to us at fantasy football events and bars and all that stuff now. All right. So. Now it's established, Die Hard Christmas movie. There's no question about it. Does that mean Die Hard Two is also a Christmas movie?
1: Well, now I got to say, it takes place at Christmas, but it's not so Christmassy.
0: Oh, okay. What, what are okay. the distinctions? What? What are the distinctions? Why? Why no on Die Hard Two? Uh, I, I think it
1: doesn't. It doesn't hit as many points. Uh, I, I, it doesn't hit as many points. I would have to put that in the category of. Christmas-ish movies, Okay. as opposed to a hard Christmas, and on a uh, it's mish How about Christmas? <laughs> Christmas. I actually, oh, yeah. right now, I'm actually writing a Hanukkah movie. Are
0: you really? No kidding. Yeah. So, can you tell us about it? You got three experts experts right here, so we're, we're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're go. oh, I, 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 I am too. No, I'm I'm
1: writing this with my friend Wes Clark, uh, and it's uh, in this in the tradition of a Cecil B. DeMille movie. It's like. Uh, it, 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 it's, uh, it takes place during the period, and uh, will be uh, uh, people will be complaining. This can't be a holiday movie. Too many people get killed.
0: <laughs> it'll oh, be the same. Yes. It'll be the same
1: conversation. And oh, that's a great!
0: great oh
1: man, I'm pumped for that. So, so you? No, read- I'm talking about Rome. You know, Maccabees versus uh, the Greeks. You know, the, the whole <laughs> war. You know, elephant att- elephant attacks. You know, sure. hails of arrows, sure. uh, swords. You know, very, very Game of Thronesy.
0: Okay, so... so there If are only the- Cersei oh, got God. the
1: elephant, she would have been in good shape. That's right. Well, actually, that that is what triggered the idea. That's awesome. Really? The, whole com- the, the whole conversation about elephants, I go, wait a minute, there's a whole, there's a whole, like, elephant, att- there's a whole, there's a whole scene missing from, uh, you know, when they have the Hanukkah specials, which, are, you know, like, the, the Hanukkah specials, I guess was Rugrats was the only one, I don't know. But, <laughs> like, in all the Hanukkah things I've seen on television, I've never seen... Sword fights, decapitation, the elephants trampling people—which, if you think about it, is an important part of the Hanukkah story. So yeah. I'm going to deliver that finally.
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> Stephen. It sounds like you're a, you're a Game of Thrones uh, fan, right?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I read the first, I read the first book in fact.
2: So as as somebody who uh, has written for movie and, and TV, um, we've we've talked a lot about how the last couple seasons felt a little rushed. Did, did you feel that from your perspective as a, as an expert in this field?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I felt that the the last two seasons felt a little bit rushed too, and I also think this. What's really interesting is uh, the, many of the scripts are online. If you're a fan of the show, you can see the scripts, and if you read the scripts, you can see that they actually laid pipe for uh, uh, for Dani to like lose it. If you go back yeah. even a couple of years ago, when she's uh-huh. getting upset or when people cross her, in the stage directions for for the actress they're like put they're laying pipe there that she's like got a short fuse hmm. uh so um I think that the audience doesn't get to read the script pardon me till now, so I think maybe it it didn't come across as obvious as they thought it did. It was on the script, it was in the actress's minds, but when you read the script, it's quite clear that they're they're signaling the actors of that. I also think this last season where they did six ninety minute episodes um. They could have done nine one-hour episodes if they just cut them up differently. And I think, in a strange way, the emotional gear changing would not have seemed so rushed if it had taken place over the exact same right, material right. stretched over nine weeks. It would be a slower burn. In other words, you'd have a week for it to think that 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 uh, Danny is stewing right. over what just happened.
0: Right.
1: You know that she's boiling mad about killing her friend. You know, so it might. I think it might have. You know, play out. There's a thing in writing, I will not get lost in the weeds here, uh, called a jump, an emotional jump, where something happens in the story because um, we want it to happen. So let's say uh, uh, I'm writing a movie where the four of us are bank robbers, right? But then, then like, you know, uh, you know, uh, one of us, like, wants to run away. I don't know. You, you tell me who would double-cross the others.
0: You guys know each other. Yeah, yeah me. De- definitely me. That's me. Yeah. All right.
1: <laughs> so you would want to have, in the course of the two-hour movie, a couple of hints earlier on that you're going to turn on the other bank robbers. Maybe we see a cop is leaning on you. Give me a tip. Or there's, like, a wife or a lover that says, you never take me anywhere, or whatever, like, the, the you know, something Zoe. To, Zoe. To, uh, to plant the seed. So I feel that the seeds were planted in previous seasons, but the audience didn't have time to like water them. If I, if I can do a totally confused uh, uh, metaphor, I'll give you a, a literary example of, of, uh, of a jump, um, uh, which was taught to be uh, my first, one of my first bosses was uh, Harv Bennett, who uh, was the producer of the Bionic shows and later did the Star Trek movies. So he sort of taught me my first day at work about an emotional jump Cause I get it. I said somebody's in other words, like good morning. I want a divorce. Well, wait a minute. Hold it. I you know, something's missing there, you know? Mm-hmm. So either there are previous scenes or the argument goes longer. So, um, um, Shalom O'Eckham, uh, wrote a lot of short stories and he did the best story example of a jump ever. A guy gets on the trolley in Minsk, and a, young, a, a a prosperous older gentleman gets on the trolley in Minsk and a young man sitting next to him says, excuse me, sir. Do you have the time? And the the older prosperous gentleman says to the young student, no way on God's green earth are you marrying my daughter. (laughs) So the the young guy says, what the hell, where where, where (laughs) where, where does that come from? I just asked you for the time. He says, why would you say that? He says, why would I say that? Here we are both in the same trolley at 4.30 on an afternoon in Minsk. We're obviously both going to the same Jewish neighborhood, right? You are a young single student I see by your books in your wardrobe. I will be Honor Brown, once you start the conversation to invite you to my house for Shabbos dinner. You will come in and you will take one look at my gorgeous daughter and you will want to uh, make a move on her. And I'm not going to let some bum who can't even afford a watch date my daughter.
0: <laughs> that's <good. laughs>
1: That's pretty cool. So I haven't done I, the original Shlom Malakim story is probably more amusing, but but anyway, that you know that's an example of a, of a jump. But at least Shalom Malakim explains why he did it.
0: So yeah, what did you think of the ending? Then I, I mean, those the last two seasons felt a little rushed. Were you satisfied with the way the show ended? Um,
1: well, I, I have a really, I have sort of mixed feelings because first off. Uh, the dragon flies. Well, first of all, the first time he goes to see her, after they're executing people on the streets, they take away his sword before we let him go see her.
2: The, like, no, the- no, 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 no. They took away his sword when we went to see Tyrion.
1: Right, you're right, you're right. Okay, well, he had, we
2: he had a sword. He had a sword when he went to see Danny.
1: Uh, uh, okay, yeah, but I'm saying, why wouldn't they? If, if there's, if they're wary of him, you
2: know. Well, I, I don't <laughs> think it was they were wary of him. I think is that <laughs> Tyrion was a prisoner, so they wouldn't yeah, let him go and fine. see a prisoner.
1: Well, at any event, no one is. No one saw his scene with with Danny. So the only way they would know he killed her is if he confessed it. But the dragon flew off and, you know, the whole, the whole city's full of smoke. The dragon flies off. She's tinier in the dragon's claw than, than, than Fay Ray is in King Kong's fist. (laughs) He comes out uh, and they say, where's Dana? He says, I don't know. She flew off. That's all you have to say.
0: (laughs) He could have (laughs) gotten away with it.
1: Yeah, he would have gotten away with it. Plus, (laughs) great. Plus, at the end of the picture, Ah, uh, the picture, the end of the series, um, uh, Grey Worm, and all his guys sail away. So why doesn't John just turn around and come back?
0: Yeah,
1: you know you what? Know, are they going to Skype uh, Grey Wolf? I don't <laughs> think so.
0: Well, he has too much honor, Stephen. Like, mean, give John okay, Snow he- some credit, I guess, right? Uh, guys, I really want to know about Steven's history with with these unbelievable, like the best of the best action stars. You've written for Bruce Willis, Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. John Claude Van Damme, Sylvester Stallone. And did you have the same experience with all those guys that you talked about with Bruce, where you talked to him first and you you know came up with a line or something like that? Because because obviously in Running Man, Schwarzenegger's got all these great one-liners. You know, like does it work the same with all these guys? Well, before you answer, though, you forgot one, David Hasselhoff too. He actually
2: wrote for The Night Rider, which That's is right uh, which is awesome.
1: oh my. God with a show right, right. to this day I feel guilty about David's uh, issues with uh, drinking uh, here's why on one of our early episodes we had a scene where he was trying to infiltrate a bodyguard school because they thought it was actually a trading ground for tourists so he pretended to he, he pretended to be drunk the story called for him to pretend to be drunk so that he would lose a lot of money so that to ingratiate himself with the bodyguards. By, like, being a patsy, they'd invited him to the card games. So we look at the first day's dailies, and Bob Sinatra, who was executive producer with me, says, this is, you know, it's not working. You got to go down there, and we got to redo this whole scene. His whole drunk act is terrible. So I went down to David at the end of the day and said, listen, David, we're going to do that card game scene again. Here's why. It was really funny, the way you were playing drunk, because you were, again, We said I sent you the wrong signals in the script. But a drunk person is trying super hard to act sober as opposed to an undercover cop trying to act drunk. You know what I'm saying? Because the cop's not an actor. I got it. I got it. So we're going to do it tomorrow. So the next day I call up the set and say, how are we doing? Because you're supposed to do so many pages a day and go from set A to set B. And the um, uh, second AD says to me, well, we're still on the first set in the card game. Uh, we're just getting started. I said, just getting started? It's like 12 o'clock. He says, well, I don't know what you said to Hasselhoff. But he came in two hours late, actually drunk.
2: <laughs>
1: so uh, he he took the actor studio uh, method a little a little, right, a, right, a little right. too much. Um, when I when I met Arnold um, again, coming back to my days in television, um, one of the uh, uh, Don Mankiewicz, famous the Hollywood family, uh, famous uh, Academy Award. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, nominee was one of my early bosses back in the days of silent television by the way I'll say that to interns sometime I'll make yeah back in silent television and the interns go oh I had no idea television was around that long you know I go all right so uh uh, I I have into my my, my, people say when are you going to write your book about all the Hollywood crazy nonsense you see from executives and movie stars and I said the longer book is intern stories (laughs) I mean like like especially they come from these uh, tremendous educational backgrounds. It's, I had one interest. I had to send this letter. It's got to be, uh, this letter has got to go out. It's a, um, a registered letter. It's got to go there and bring me the envelope. And the envelope is addressed on the flap side. I go, I just, you, you, you address this envelope on the wrong side. Goes, There's a right side. <laughs> the kid had never said a mail before. I digress. <laughs> um, so um, one, uh, my, my boss years ago, Don Mankiewicz said, when you have an actor, whose first language is not English, you should you know, get, get together with socially over lunch or something and make sure you haven't inadvertently given them a tongue twister. Okay. So I did that with Arnold. We had lunch and uh, and I went over to his house and we smoked a couple of cigars. And I went through the whole script and we hit some speeches where it was inadvertently a tongue twister for someone whose first language is German. So, for example, maybe I wrote, uh, I wonder where will on Wednesday. Says, I wonder where will went on Wednesday. Stephen, I, can, I cannot be saying that. So I said, all right, uh, Frank was furious on Friday. Frank was furious on Friday. Yeah, I doubt I can say more better. So I went through <laughs> the entire movie of uh, Commando and I made sure he had that, that things would flow for him, you know, because it's just, you know, you know pronouncing the words. And then I, right after that, we did The Running Man and I did the same thing. After The Running Man, he did a movie called Raw Deal with different writers and, and directors. And obviously, no one on that movie did that with him. And I remember one review said the strangest thing is going on with Arnold Schwarzenegger. His English was getting better and better the last two pictures, and now it's worse.
0: <laughs> hey, that kudos to you. That's that's really interesting. I mean, a lot goes into it, I guess. Did you write like the he had to split line?
1: Yes, yes, I did. Oh, that's I'm amazing. responsible for all,
0: now. Of course, the inspiration
1: for all these Arnoldisms is, of course, you know, my uh, my uh, uh, it, it, my impressionable years uh, as a kid watching James Bond. I mean, the first couple, you know, I saw the, uh, the first three Bond movies first run, you know, like, uh, Dr. No and, uh, Russia with Love. And that was the first time you saw that awesome coolness, you know, like, uh, shocking. He throws the guy in the bathtub. Uh, uh
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> and, uh, so, for, and there's, uh, there's even a, there's a joke in, uh, Commando, uh, which is very similar to a gag in Dr. No. Uh, you remember in Dr. No, um, uh, and, and someone impersonating the government driver picks Bond up at the airport and tries to kill him en route. Uh, and Bond kills him and he pulls up at the government house and the guy's dead. And Bond says something to the guy, the guard at the gate, like, don't wake my friend or something like that. You know, the guy's dead. And I did the same thing in uh, in Commando. My friend is dead tired. By the way, I'm famous <laughs> for my Arnold impression. I, have pranked, I have, I've, I've pranked a couple of studio executives. One time I called up Larry Gordon, our producer on um, uh, Commando. And I said, uh, What is going on? I'm seeing Harrison Ford's trailer is bigger than mine. I was told in my deal I would have, and he starts, I don't know, I don't know. And finally he goes, Then I stepped into view with the receiver. Uh, uh, so Larry could see me. Damn it, the Susan at you again. That's and great. Uh, on, on The Running Man, uh, there's a thing you do when you finish a movie. It's called uh, ADR, which is Automatic Dialogue Replacement. Invariably on a motion picture, some of your soundtracks are bad. Either an airplane goes overhead or somebody coughs and the soundtrack is not clean on something you want. So before we did the audience test screening of uh, Commando, we had to fix some dialogue. But you only have whatever it is, probably three days in the contract for your star to come in and replace the soundtrack. And you don't want to have them come in for the test screening because you may throw away some scenes in the test screening or puts them back in. And now you burned your three, three days up. You have to like pay extra go overtime, whatever. So they said, all right, Steve, you do Arnold's lines. You do a good Arnold. So I did a half a dozen lines for the, t- for the test screening, but then in the rush to get the movie out, they brought on some extra sound cutters and they could not tell me from Arnold. So in the final, so if you see the running man, I have two lines of dialogue. That's actually me coming out of Arnold's mouth. They're both in the scene where they escape the prison camp with the exploding collars. Which, by the way, has been copied many times by me, but this was the first one. But anyway, uh, when Arnold says we do it outside, and then and also he says Chico, no, that's me.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. I'm cracking up right now. Can you do a Stallone or 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 just Arnold? Uh, I I think I I, I haven't tried the Stallone. Now, first of all,
1: my excuse for Stallone not being good is I have a cold. But um, I think my best if I do Stallone, I would say. Um, this is by the way this is the explanation you know the story that everybody in hollywood turned down die hard and that was because stallone and schwarzenegger had established this benchmark of like the huge steroid gigantic guy as a hero so for example uh in um rambo the the commies we still have commies for films then the commies uh grab grab sly they strap him to a, the springs of a mattress they put electrodes on his genitals he breaks loose he kills everybody in the room with his bare hands, then he grabs the microphone, which connects him to the other bad guy who's in this location, and he says, the guy's saying, come in, he says, come in, comrade, come in, comrade, and there's no answer. And he says, your comrades are dead, and I'm coming after you next. (laughs) So that kind of line of dialogue uh, is is the opposite of the way Bruce Willis behaves in Die Hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, when, When all these actors present the script, they get to page like, you know, 20, He looks out the doorway and sees a dozen terrorists coming in and he runs upstairs to try and call the police. So all these actors or their agents said, oh, this guy's a (laughs) you don't want to play this part. But (laughs) but the guy but it was real. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. I I had not seen my children had not seen any of my movies at that time because they were too intense for small children. Uh, What we would do, we'd finish a movie like 48 hours or commando and we'd make the airline version, the TV version with all the curse words taken out. So, I would bring that home, the VHS of that. So, Die Hard was the first movie I took my kids to see in the movie theater. You know, we don't want to influence these children, you know, with R rated movies. So, at that same moment, when Bruce looks out and sees all these guys and runs away, my son grabs my arm. He's 11 years old. He goes, Dad, your hero's chicken. <laughs> I go, Where did <laughs> you, you learn that word? Not from my movies.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, that's You took him to a Christmas movie for their first movie. How about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: You mentioned 48 Hours. How much fun was it working with Eddie Murphy at that time?
0: Uh, Here's what's
1: funny. This is his first movie, uh, you know, so uh, because uh, I said I want to meet the actors and talk to them so I can hear their voice in my head and make them fit. So it fits their personality. Uh, He was so green and naive in Hollywood. He wore a suit and tie to meet me. (laughs) He's like one year out of high school. Hmm. So he comes in all neat and clean, a nice neat suit. Uh, and uh, I'd seen him on Saturday Night Live and knew what he could do. And then Nick came in, and Nick came in to see me looking pretty much like that famous mugshot of him Mm -hmm. only like 20 years earlier. So Nick comes in and he goes, oh, yeah, they're going to hire me a a trainer. I'm going to lose this gut. I'm going to get in shape and stuff. And so after they left, I said, listen, cancel the trainer. Let Nick stay overweight and sloppy. I want to put that in the script now. So the idea that Eddie was neat and sharp, and Nick was a slob, was not in the script until they came to my office and I saw them and I said, that works for the movie. And it also created a gag where several times in the movie when they see them handcuffed together, everybody assumes Eddie's the cop because Nick looks like, a, like, a, like he's on crack.
0: <laughs> I love that. I mean, that's such a great movie. It's such a great pairing. Uh, I know you probably got to go. Uh, thank you for taking so much time. I wanted to ask you about a, a rumor Tell me if this is true. I heard that you wrote the Street Fighter film in 24 hours. Is that true? No, no,
1: that's not, not at all true. That would be impossible. What happened was the producer said these people from the video game are going to be in town. They're taking meetings all over town. Um, uh, could Can you come up with an idea for them? They're going to be here like you know, like day after tomorrow. So I came up with um, a, 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 a design for the movie. That my uh, dumb luck was actually where they were thinking. They were thinking along the lines of more of a Bond movie or a GI Joe movie than a fighting movie. And my, I had the same thought that the problem with a with a tournament movie is you know that everybody's gonna you know that your key characters are gonna make it to the final round. You know, it's like like any kind of sports movie has a problem. Unless, what's the best sports movies? I mean, the best sports movies to me are like uh, Fear Strikes Out or um, uh, maybe. Uh, uh, what's the movie Tom Hanks about women's uh, yeah, baseball? Yeah, oh, Yeah, okay. Because you know what, they're not about winning or losing; they're about the people. Oh, you so you can have I mean?
2: sports movies that don't involve sports. That's an interesting. Case. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, no, 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 not, not sports. It's it's just
1: not about winning the game.
2: You know, yeah. the- right. You know, exactly. You don't always like, have to be on the field to be a sports movie.
1: Well, like like for example,
2: uh, Tom like Cruz. Jerry Maguire.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, exactly, there's more hey, going hey, on But hey, Tom, Tom Cruise, for example In, in um, Days of Thunder When he gets injured right. in the middle Is uh-huh. there any doubt that he's going to drive again? There's yeah. like no doubt In your mind
2: that, he, that course, he's going right, to drive right. again Right, like when Cuba Gooding Jr. takes the hit There's no doubt oh, he's going to get up see, and, and, and Well, that
1: one you don't know because the movie is like th- That movie was kind of pissy with a lot of expectations You know, like you hear we're getting fired After right a great stand So Um. <laughs> The, uh, I lost my train of thought Yeah, Well, here, because
0: Jamie it. Jamie, and I argue about Jerry Maguire because I don't think Jerry Maguire is a sports movie, which, you know, it's the same as the Die Hard Christmas thing. All no, right, so. we get that one. Yeah, yeah, it's not as,
2: seasonal. As you it's can not seasonal, though. Stephen, as you can see, Adam has terrible takes about movies, although he does love your work. He does terrible takes in general about uh, movies. I do have a question for you. Um, is there a movie that stands out to you as your favorite that you've ever done and then one that you regret doing?
1: Uh, hmm. Well, I mean, uh, my, the movies I like, uh, uh, I would say, uh, a, a movie that doesn't get a lot of attention, uh, that I like a lot that I did was, um, uh, Ricochet with Denzel Washington and John Lithgow. That's, that's a great awesome. movie. Love it. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Uh, for some reason it, it, it's not on a lot of people's radar. Um, wow. but John
2: Lithgow is a villain. Yeah.
1: Oh, well, he's awesome. He, he's, he's terrific. And the sweetest guy, another guy that's so unbelievable sweet is, uh, Bill Duke, who is, uh, of course, you know, from, uh, Predator, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and he was the guy who was always shaving, and he's the guy that says I eat green grapes for breakfast, <laughs> uh, you know yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, but he is the sweetest guy, and, and when he's behind the camera, he directs like a chick flicks. <laughs> so right. you would never, uh, wow. you would never uh, uh, put that together. Uh, anyway, uh, every actor uh, is different, and um, uh, in in my experience, uh, the actors who come out of stage work. Uh, are the most disciplined because if you come from stage work, uh, the first thing you learn is you can't change a single line of dialogue unless the playwright approves. If you're in a play uh, and in rehearsal, uh, you come up with a new idea, the director's going to say, I'll call the playwright tonight and we'll see if we can incorporate that. So I've had situations where uh, Denzel Washington, this movie, he calls me up one night. uh, It's like like, uh, 9.50. He said, I'm sorry to call so late. No, it's okay. What is it? He says, I have, a pro- I have a question about the script. So I go, all right, here it comes. Here it comes. They're going to be all right. They're going to be on the phone for an hour. With, and he says, like on page 52, when I leave Ke- uh, um, Kevin Pollack, uh, I say, ciao. I don't think I say, ciao. Can I just say, see ya? And I go, uh, yeah, sure. And he's, he he's, no, that's it. <laughs> I go, you could not go with the feather because most American movie stars would have a long conversation about their childhood or whatever. Um, I did a movie, another movie I'm fond of, which is uh, called Possessed which nobody's seen, which is uh, kind of a uh, my version of The Exorcist. And I had Christopher Plummer and Timothy Dalton, like, you know, kind of be like Academy Award-winning Shakespearean actors. So Timothy Dalton says, I want to talk to you about this, le- this scene, the last scene of the movie. It's very important for my character. And I go, oh my God, I'm falling my own schedule. I got, to, I can't, you know, like, what is, this? he says, I think in this scene would be better if I said nothing. I go, excuse me, what? I think this scene more powerful if I said nothing in the entire scene. I go, oh, okay, and he was <laughs> right. But again, it'd be, it, you don't have that too much with movie stars saying, "I want to talk less." Yeah,
2: right. right. Is Bye-bye.
1: there one you regret that you done? Uh, there's one I regret. Well, um, there's yeah, there's like movies like uh, the, the the joke is, who do you have to like screw to get on get on this movie? Is who who do, you, who do you have to yeah on on Beverly Hills Cop Three was in development so long that it morphed and morphed and morphed to the point where Eddie said, "I don't want to be funny." I want to play a more serious role. And the last memo I got was to take jokes out of the script. Oh, geez. Uh, Oh, man. And uh, the budget got slashed, too. Whereas uh, originally we had this theme park that was a brutal takedown of Disney. It was uh, was a great parody of the whole Disneyland scene. You know, everything is TM and everything is stamped and everything is, Mm -hmm. you know, all. And uh, as the budget got slashed, we had to, like, not have the rides we were inventing. We had to, like, recycle. So, like, we took the... Uh, earthquake ride from universal studios and pretend that it was alien attack because the budget was our budget was so low for this Mm. paramount movie uh that we had to go to universal and just film the earthquake ride as it was but pretending that things are happening not because of an earthquake because aliens are attacking (laughs) so the entire budget for that the entire budget for the alien attack ride at our fictional theme park was assigned that's said alien attack this way with, <laughs> with, uh, with people in line. So, um, and also I was, I was out of the country. Normally the writer's guild they, they're supposed to show you a movie uh, before it comes out in case you want to use a pseudonym, you know, like Alan Smithy. A lot of the directors do Alan Smithy. There's a, you can put a pseudonym on it. Uh, so I was out of the country. They didn't show me the movie. And after I was finished taking out jokes for Eddie, they brought in more writers to take out more jokes. So uh, had I known the finished product, I probably would have done uh, some thinly disguised pseudonym like uh, um, uh, Adam Azer. Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, yes, yeah. that would have been perfect. Yeah, <laughs> I would have taken that. That movie, I, when I go to the, when I get my residual checks. I go to the cash machine with my collar up oh, and my, my a hoodie.
0: I I, I want to ask you one last question Uh, We love Die Hard It's one of the best, if not the best uh, Of its genre Why does it have the legacy that it has? What is it about Die Hard that makes it the the classic action film?
1: Well, I I think that On a a certain sort of deep level A deep dive now into nerddom It fulfills the basics the, the, The absolute ground rule basics of drama Going back to Aristotle It's a unity of time, place and action not everything has that. So that makes it a very intense experience. It feels like it's happening in real time. In other words, like there's nobody goes to sleep. Nobody wakes up the next day. You don't see autumn leaves. So there's there's a, a hyper intensity to it, feeling like it's in real time. Also, the hero is a very identifiable guy because as soon as he get, the limousine comes and he sits in front, he's like an average guy. And we painted him as an average guy, particularly in contrast to the villains, mm-hmm. so everything that we could do as filmmakers to make you identify with that character, like works. Furthermore, the character does not walk in like Stallone or Schwarzenegger with veins popping. You know, uh, so he, he, you say to yourself, "Oh, I could, I'd probably do that to save my, my my loved one." I mean, not that that remotely you could remotely do that, but you can fantasize and identify with that character. More so than you can with Neo in The Matrix, for example. Having said that, if it weren't for Bruce Willis playing that part, I don't think you would have Keanu Reeves as an action hero, or even Liam Neeson. He broke the mold that you had to be this staggering physical specimen to be an action star, or that you had to be a martial artist like uh, Steven Seagal or or, or John Claude. Uh, you know, it, it said, okay, a normal-looking guy can be a hero. And I think that we've had a lot of these um, uh, really interesting movies since then uh, because he, he really broke ground there.
0: Well, Stephen, uh, we kept you a long time, and we've done this show for about t- 10, 11 years now. That's going to be one of our favorite episodes. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Adam,
2: <laughs> can you admit now once and for all? that Die Hard is a Christmas film?
0: As long as I don't have to admit that Jerry Maguire is a sports movie, I will admit that. that those that, are separate conversations. That Die Hard is the best Christmas movie ever made. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. There you go. It only took eight years. <laughs> I'm, ha- I'm happy to be of service. <laughs> Steven. Thank you C. for everything you've Thanks, done. Thanks, man. Thanks, Steven. Fantastic. That's it for us here on Fantasy Football Today. We'll talk to you next week.